0: This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, DoorDash is now giving customers a warning that their food might not arrive on time or timely, or even hot if they don't tip. Shift heads call and text with their thoughts on tipping and if it's getting out of hand. Canadian author Adam Schultz canoed from his home in Southern Ontario to the Arctic. He's an adventurer. All he wanted to do was track the migration of some birds. Tells us why he won on this adventure and what Canada's Arctic looks like, why he did it, and did he find the bird? The book is called Where the Falcon Flies. Iconic Canadian rock band Econoline Crush is back, and frontman Trevor Hurst joins us, talks about the history of the songs, working as a nurse, getting back into rock and roll, and why it matters to chase your dream when you feel like you have things that it's time to share. It's all on the Shift Daily podcast.
1: This is the Shift Podcast. Some customers tip them, others don't.
2: It hurts your feelings. It hurts your feelings more when they tip you a penny. Like, I've had penny tippers.
1: If you're on the no tipping side, DoorDash has a warning for you. Orders with no tip might take longer to get delivered. The food delivery service added this pop-up disclaimer as part of a pilot program. Whenever you pick up an order, do you look at the tip or kind of decide whether you're going to pick it up or not based on the tip? Always. (laughs) He's not alone. The company says drivers see non-tipping orders as less desirable, which means longer wait times for customers, orders sit longer at merchants, and dashers lose value. This dasher says some orders are just not worth it especially if you're driving and spending hundreds on gas. He says tips are more than half his wages. It's
2: five miles, and maybe there's a dollar tip, maybe. But it's just like, I don't know.
1: Are you going to take that order? No,
2: I'm not going to take that, definitely
1: tip
3: the drivers? I don't. I do not tip drivers, yes.
1: For some customers, tips have gotten out of hand and say the disclaimer just makes them want to opt out of DoorDash.
3: I feel like we're already paying a lot and the prices basically have been increasing. ever. I've been using it for maybe like seven, eight years and slowly it's always just been increasing.
0: Okay, so the alert that kind of comes up, that was WCNC by the way, says your award or your order might, you know, be late or delayed or arrive cold because if you don't tip. Now, my understanding from this was you're paying the delivery fee for them to deliver your order. And I experienced it myself driving when you would go and there would be no tip or a crappy tip. And you're hoping they're going to give you five bucks cash. You drop off the food, nothing. And so now when with these delivery services you can see people can skip over so your order doesn't get picked but isn't the whole point of having delivery and the delivery fee isn't the agreement to be able to just you pay the 5 bucks or whatever it is they bring it to you the the agreement is to bring you hot food the tip is for good service not for basic service and i feel like tipping's gone too far i went to my massage therapist today and he doesn't even have a tip option it doesn't. This is my service. You, I do a good service all the time. There's no tip option. you pay me a good price. He charges a fair price. It's a good price. And that's it. There's no tip option. 877-399-9898. Should it be that way? Is that okay for your food to arrive cold because you didn't pay extra for it to arrive hot? Anyway, sorry, I hijacked your thing, right? No, well, uh, like, first of all, can we get more millennial than that first guy where he says, well, it hurts my feelings when they don't tip me.
3: No, I kind of, I get it. I get it.
0: Every I get it. Feelings, the business transaction.
3: I can, I can get it. Uh, well, a penny tip is one of the most insulting things. I remember I was wor- when I was working in service, I was chatting with this guy who's like super nice. You know, hey, can I get you this? And then he left a quarter as a tip. And I'd like, I almost wanted to leap across the counter. I was so offended. And like, I would have, I w- I would have preferred he put no tip than that. You know, it felt insulting. So that from that part, I can get it. Um, and I, I don't, I don't see why the drive, like the delivery drivers are allowed to like pick the order I feel like it would be better if the app could oh, that's see where thing. the driver okay. is based out of or yeah. where they mostly are. And then just ping you orders in the area they don't like I just tell you that don't drive you across the city.
0: That used to be like that, but because of labor laws and subcontracts, they were subcontractors, but as a subcontractor, you have to have the ability to reject the work. And when they were force-feeding you, you had to be paid an hourly wage. So they became a choice of you get paid an hourly wage when you're working or you're a subcontractor. That's that's why you have the ability to pass them,
3: just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a lose-lose there. Too much tipping. There is too much tipping in modern society. I will agree wholeheartedly with that. I don't mind tipping a delivery driver. I do mind tipping everything else. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, two questions for you. Should you be able, should you have to tip to get your food delivered on time? I mean, that's a thing. And should you, uh, should Ryan be tipping when he gives all his free stuff, by the way, for his birthday? 877 399 The story is that DoorDash had an alert that came up that said, if you don't tip, your food might not arrive hot. That seems weird to me. And it seems like the agreement is the delivery fee is the agreement. And yes, I believe you should tip for good service. What do you think? 877-399-9898. I refuse to tip for service I haven't even received yet. And I encourage people to stop using these services. We needed them during the pandemic. We can now going back to picking up our own damn food. Not everybody can, just to be clear. And sometimes you're in a bind, you have friends over. So I'm okay with delivery. I think that I would agree when we say that we use it way too much. But at the same time, nothing wrong with delivery, using it all the time is probably not okay. And yet you have to tip before your service arrives. You know, when you go get your haircut, you you tip and you pay when it's done, right? You When you go and, I don't know, go to a restaurant, you tip bef- after the meal's been served. When you ride with an Uber... You tip after your ride is done. Yet these food services, you have to tip in order to get priority service. That's a problem. I agree with you. I don't think you should have to tip in advance. I think you should be able to tip after the fact. Now, for the drivers, if the drivers don't want to take it because the tips aren't as good, that says to me, that's bad business design. That has nothing to do with drivers. Of course, drivers are going to take the tips, and drivers should take the tips. 877 399 Should your tip be the hinge point for you to receiving hot food a uh, door created the system miss Josie I always rely on Miss Josie to give these good answers as she's done this they charge you a lot in fees and higher the menu prices than offer drivers as little as $2 don't blame dashers as themselves such as Miss Josie for not taking your order it's nothing personal it just means that if I take your order without a tip I'm going to lose money so I decline and I move on to better paying offers as the driver, yes, I 100% agree with that. DoorDash and those systems—I mean, they're already charging you more than you would pay off the takeaway menu anyway. I mean, that's what the, that's what happens there. So, it to me seems like a uh, just such a waste, right? I mean, you should—I agree with the other text. You shouldn't have to—you shouldn't have to tip before you re- receive the service. From the driver's perspective, I also reserve the right to stand with Ms. Josie and say that the drivers aren't going to take those orders if that's the case. Another texture says, "As a delivery driver, and that being my only job, tips matter to me. At the end of the day, if bad tips make up my whole day, um, yeah, I agree. But it shouldn't have to. That, to me, again, is a bad business design. That shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the consumer that pays your salary, and it shouldn't be the boss." That, like, it shouldn't be your bonus at work that pays your salary, right? You should live on your salary, and then the bonus is the bonus. Makes sense. All right. Um. Hi, Shane and Ryan. Today, this is what they would have tipped with your birthday free stuff, Ryan. Ryan took free stuff for his birthday. Should he tip it off? I would have tipped the hardworking server at Denny's five bucks, the barista at Starbucks three bucks. At least five dollars for the mash or for your pizza. Got to share your good fortune. Sounds like you had a wonderful day, Tina and Calgary. I think for your Denny's service, a tip is all right. Mm-hmm. I I think um, for your pizza yeah, that was takeaway pizza. Oh
3: no! I ate both meals in there, and I, I did. Okay. I did have some cash on me, thankfully. I for leftover from uh, out. Excuse me, out over the weekend, so I was able to give some cash there. So yeah, I did do it like a five dollar tip at each of the places that uh not at the starbucks but at the um uh the denny's and mash and uh it, yeah yeah felt felt right to do that they were super nice okay Very so
0: nice. three dollars at starbucks as of june 2023 over 8,000 workers at 360 Starbucks stores in the united states are now unionized You should not have to tip $3 at Starbucks on a $7 hot drink. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. Starbucks, from what I know, does a pretty good job with their employees. And not to mention, if they're unionized, they've got a pre-negotiated agreement. It started in Buffalo, by the way. So, no, I don't think you should tip $3 at Starbucks on a, you know, throw a buck in the jar. Fine. If it's good service. But why do you, why this is absurd. Here's a great text like this I would agree. A tip is a thank you for good service. That's why it was created. A tip is a choice. This is absolutely foolish because the basic expectation is the food should be warm. Congratulations. I won't be using DoorDash anymore because of this policy. Um, yeah, well, we're not trying to take money out of the driver's pockets by sharing this, but I think it matters. Another text, you should always tip on value, not price. If a restaurant has your favorite meal on sale for half price, you should tip a percentage of full price, Rich in Carson City. I don't agree. I think if the restaurant has your favorite meal on half price, you pay half price. That's the agreement. And then if the service is fantastic and you feel like that that server can have a little tip and a bump, then you give a little tip and a bump. I don't think that's the case. I do, though. If I, there was a, we, uh, we had to complain cause we had, um, some like a hair, hair in our, we got some shared dishes once and, 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 you know, we just had to send it back. There was hair in it. It was no big deal. It was a couple of big, long hairs fell out of somebody's head, sent it back. Hey, sorry, but this has got hair in it. We're not really comfortable eating it. No problem. They brought us a new one and not only did they bring us a new one, they didn't charge us for that dish. And so they brought us a new one and didn't charge us. So I made sure that they got a great tip that day and I didn't tip them the whole value of the meal, but that's when I did sort of that half, that, that half value thing. Right. And, um, but in that particular case, the server and the kitchen or the manager or somebody made the decision to make sure that we were compensated for what it was not in value, but at least in service. Right. And so we give a bigger tip for that. I'm happy to give a bigger tip because that was amazing service. I was not expecting my food for free. Les from Hamilton says, what happens when you pre-tip and still get bad service? Can you cancel the tip? You cannot. Not with DoorDash. You prepay the tip. You can adjust the tip after they leave. But you can't reduce it. Ooh, Josie. I've never even actually tried to reduce. I never had uh, to. Can you? Can, any of the drivers out there, can somebody reduce the tip after you've mm. done it? I don't think you can. I think it's a contract agreement as a subcontract employee. I don't think they can. Hmm. It's bad business design. And the thing is, is that the these businesses, these delivery businesses, not only are they milking you, they're the only ones making money. They're milking you. They're milking the driver. They're milking the restaurant. That $10 dish for takeaway is $13 on delivery. I did get skip when I was in Vancouver last week. It was Sunday night in the hotel. Didn't feel like going out. Let's see what's going on in Langley on a Sunday. Got skip. Got skip from a local, as far as I could tell, not chain eatery, just to try something local. Fine, no problem. Going to pay extra for that. Going to pay premium for that. I get that. But to add more and more and more on that makes no sense to me at all. 877-399-9898. I didn't mean to put anyone on the spot. I thought Ryan went to his favorite Starbucks where everybody knows his name. You're like Norm. Everybody knows you.
3: No, I shuffle around. I have like four different ones that I alternate between them. Yeah. There's not enough Ryan to go around at coffee shops. That's very nice. And and they're on the, the same, same block, coffee shop all four two Starbucks days in
0: a row. Never. Uh, no, you're thinking teeny of the old coffee shop where Ryan used to go to. It wasn't a Starbucks, but it was down by his old place where he used to walk in. And the mm-hmm. guy was so incredibly friendly. And then I think I broke Ryan's heart when I were sitting there. I'm like, Ryan, he's friendly to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. He's friendly to me. <laughs> yeah. But it worked. You tipped him well, that guy. I did. Yeah, but he was impre- there though, He was very good. He was very good at his job. Good Another coffee. text says uh, from Vancouver, I never tip at Starbucks. It's a quick transaction for a coffee. I've learned when adding a tip using POS, the owner often keeps the tip. Uh, okay, let me see here. What did I get?
4: Do, 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 do.
0: They're not loading very quick. here. sorry about that. I love to tell my server with a table of four or five at a sports bar in the beginning of the group that the table are generous tippers for great service this puts everyone on the same tracks works extremely well it's great idea declare it we love great service great tippers for great service watch them work hard the gig economy and contracted labor is bull crap anyway unions fought for generations so that non-union workers could have rights and benefits and this gig thing is throwing that all away. Um. Yeah, it's subcontract work. I think people are allowed to take work whatever they want, and I don't think unions have all set the best standards for balance and fairness either. Um, I'm not a big fan of unions in certain scenarios, and in some scenarios I find them integral. Bipolar Bear Lisa, I refuse to use delivery apps. They screw their drivers in stores. You're seeing a lot more and more of those stores, though, Ryan, that come up with... um, uh, one here local in Calgary is Taco Time. They've even got their own delivery now. I think some of the subways have their own delivery. Yeah. right. Even, they don't um, necessarily use the apps.
3: Yeah. KFC, I'm pretty sure, has their own drivers. There's a couple of local chains even that that will keep some drivers just on standby for stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, if I had a choice, like if I could just go directly through the restaurant, especially if it's local, you know that the driver Who's delivering is going to get a better payday than with the app the issue is that not every restaurant can afford to have a driver like that
0: well it's hard to get that there like there's a there's a pizza place in town i'm not i'm not happy with um with the way they go about some things online but i do like their pizza and they do have great service and great people working there so i won't give the name only because of that fact but the delivery driver for the pizza has been the same delivery driver for a few years They will say you will have your pizza in an hour or whatever, 45 minutes to an hour. It is there right away. It is piping hot. He has a smile on his face and I have no problem tipping that cat. It's like five bucks they charge for delivery or four bucks. I have no problem tipping that dude. He's been consistent, cold weather, Mm -hmm. everything, hot pizza, smile on his face and nice guy. So I like that.
3: Sacred about that. It's like the Chinese food restaurant that I order from in Calgary. They know mm-hmm.
0: our names. <laughs> they say hi,
3: everyone. Good hi, service. Ryan.
0: Yeah, I love right. it. 877-399-9898 three uh, nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Let's go to Robert. He's in Winnipeg. Hey, Robert. Hi. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, what was your thought about uh, gratuities and the tipping?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to mention the, the chain of restaurants in Winnipeg, where I'm from in Winnipeg, but it's a it's a hotel chain where they have a buffet. When you get the bill, they tack on the gratuity on the bill on mm. top of they want them to tip them as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I see that a lot, I think, in buffets. Um, people come in and, and they do that a lot, which is interesting to me because your servers are basically bringing you, if it's a breakfast buffet, I'm assuming, um, they bring you your orange juice and they clear plates, right?
2: No, this is a dinner buffet.
0: Dinner buffet, um, and so I mean it's a different kind of service, and to include gratuity in the bill, I think is just a sneaky way to try to drop the price of, um, drop the price of the buffet. I, I don't agree with it. I'm, I, does it set you off too? Does it feel unsettling to you?
2: If I want a tip, I, I should have the choice to tip, not have to be forced to pay a tip on top of the bill itself.
0: Well, let me ask you this question then, Robert. If it's a group of people, say you bring in your your ball team or whatever, and you got ten or fifteen people, does that bother you if there's a gratuity that is uh, stacked on that?
2: Not necessarily that, but just I don't like the fact that they they force me to pay it. Even though I went to McDonald's, I paid at the counter. You had to press a thing saying tip or no tip. Yeah, it's for McDonald's. Yeah. It's like yeah, I know that's crazy.
0: But when there's a group though, they often will you know force a tip. You know, table over ten automatic gratuity applied yeah, to the bill them, yes
2: i understand that but if you're a single person going in yeah for a 20 dollar buffet and they try and force you like a 15 percent gratuity automatically on the bill on top of the tax and everything as well you should be allowed yeah, to make your, the choice if you want to give a tip or not
0: yeah I'll drive it a little bit crazy that's for sure i appreciate that thank you so much robert for the call yeah. man you have a fantastic night in winnipeg Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. 399 I mean, when, when there's one server that has to, especially like young hockey teams and stuff like that, little hooligans, um, it's, uh, you know, I, I get it. I mean, that server is probably only serving your table, right? And they probably need help from other servers to do it. So it doesn't bother me if the agreement is said in advance. By the way, if you're a group, this is what we do. Uh, Steve is in Scarborough.
4: Hi, Steve. Yeah. Hi. So I'm um, curious. Uh, I own my own bar and restaurant, but mostly a bar. Um, mm-hmm. I work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, daytimes. It's slow enough that I can do it myself and get things done. Right. Uh, the interesting thing is at least 70% of my customers when I'm working don't tip mm-hmm. me. because, And they say I'm, I'm the owner. So I put up a sign on the bar that said all tips to the Salvation Army and i started and i put a jar out and a really nice setup and i started getting tips in the jar so anyway i'm curious what people think about tipping an owner yeah well see uh, do you
0: mind if i share my thoughts steve is that all right yeah
4: yeah go ahead
0: yeah well i mean i i have, I have, I have a couple of friends who own pubs and restaurants and stuff too and and i think if you're working you're working um, mm-hmm. I think if you're the owner, it doesn't matter. If you're working, you're working. If you're serving, you're serving. If it's good service, it's good service. I, I don't care if you're the owner. If you're the owner and you're serving my table, you're still serving my table.
4: Absolutely. I, and, I, you know, I would, when I go I out, uh, I tip more than the 15% for great service. Mm-hmm. I tip 20% for great service because I know how hard they work for those bucks.
0: Is and it, if you does don't you, service, at all, Steve? you might get nothing. Yeah, but does that bother you if you have, say, one of your, your employees, right, And you know, you know, as the owner, you know if they're they're if they've got the the magic of hospitality, you know they do, right? Those are special people, yeah. And but so you got say that that one bubble employee who's you know having a bad day, and even on a good day is not the best. And then they complain about not receiving a tip as a bar owner. How do you handle that? Do you say? Have you tried working harder, or do you say, "Yeah, man, that you deserve at least a free fifteen percent because you showed up for work today"? Where, where does that land as a bar owner?
4: Okay, well, it, it depends. But the reality and the base of it all is, well, what is this person like? Are they smiling and engaging and polite and all of that? Because if they are and they're getting stiffed, I might go talk and we'll talk to the patrons. Mm. Um, and just say, you know, I'm just curious why you don't. I'm not trying to corner them, but I am in a sense. And, yeah. if they, and I'm just curious, and I get all kinds of answers, mostly, oh, I just can't afford it. And I'm thinking, you come in here for five or six beers you could have at home. Like, you know, makes no <laughs> yeah, But anyway, you know, you got to deal with them. You want them to come back, so you got to be nice and sweet. You're the owner. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can say things to a point, but you can't really insult or push them.
0: Yeah. Well, see, but that's, that's the thing, right? Is that I, I would have. Ama- has anybody given you the tip fatigue comment yet and saying like, I have to tip ever, why do I have to tip tip tip? Because to me, I would say that tip fatigue is probably a larger problem than bad service.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you know what, I just, uh, as I said, if you're getting the good service, and you know, I mean, come on, we all know, the waiters, waitresses, bartenders, kitchen staff, especially. And then my kitchen staff gets tips from these servers, or a certain percentage of the tips. But you know that the tips are important to these people. Um, so, you know, if you're going to run up a $100 bill between four of you guys drinking and having pizza, you can to leave $10. You should leave 20 25 Yeah, $5 bucks I mean, each, for, yeah. Yes, when you're drinking, the tip value goes up. Booze tax is more. Tips is bigger than food tips. I don't know if you would think that way, but I mean, yeah, it, it's it's pretty basic. Not just you know, I've been in this place now for 19 years, so everybody knows me, and, and they, and I'm I'm a good guy. I mean, I'm good to the customers. I don't ever. I don't. If I'm having a bad day, you don't know, uh, mm. and you got to be that way. Uh, so, so be the same and be engaging and uh, good joke if you got one, um, and then well you're. Host, right. Pardon me.
0: You're a host. That's the job. And Absolutely. if you are hosting, then then I think that if it's good service, you get a tip. I, I still, Steve, just my opinion. I mean, I still think that it comes for good service. It should not be an expectation. And I think that's the magic of all of it. I mean, um, it just boils down to that piece of the puzzle. Is that people should I think should earn the tip, and that people should Absolutely. be generous when the service is fantastic. If the service yep. is terrible and you're not happy, then so be it. Um, and, this is awesome you know, for us.
4: I've hired over these years 20, 25 people, I guess, and in the process of interviewing them, I get a sense. I'm like, you, if you're in the food and beverage business, you have to be a people reader. That's your. That's the number one thing you have to be is read the people. And and once I get a drift about somebody, I sometimes you know, with most of them, I can be pretty frank about things. So there are some people who are just bitchy about tipping and i i say to them and i've said this to a few you know there's a bar around the corner <laughs> yeah well that's true <laughs> they too come back
0: well, uh, the dollar talks, steve thank you for calling man i appreciate okay. you thanks so much steve's in scarborough in ontario this is the shift podcast a love affair career is sort of the dream isn't it the kind of thing where you get to do your favorite bits and pieces and you get paid for it and usually takes an awful lot of hard work but can be quite rewarding in the end that's my assumption that's my assumption when i saw this article from about a year ago that was about a guy called adam schultz the title of it from canadian geographic was adam schultz on his latest expedition following the birds to canada's north and it was like a three-month solo journey um adam are you back in still? Did you make it?
5: oh uh, yes, I'm back and uh, alive and well, and happy to be on the show, Shane.
0: Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate that. You, um, this one was a solo trip, outdoorsy adventure. All of that is is your jam. You document it. You take pictures. You take video as you go, and you seem to follow birds a lot. There's a lot there. Um, how did you get into this?
5: oh well, probably like a lot of other kids all across Canada. It was just something that I naturally was involved in growing up. I, I had a forest right on my doorstep. I grew up in rural Ontario. We didn't have any sidewalks or lights where I live but we had forest all around my house. So every chance I got, I was out in the woods with my brother and my dog. And my father, he encouraged us. And when I was a kid, I didn't really have any career plans in mind. I just wanted to spend as much time out in the woods as I could. So when I was a kid, I was just trying to learn. How do you survive in the woods? How do you make fire without matches? How do you navigate by sun and stars? What mushrooms are poisonous? Which ones are edible? And that's how it all began. And I guess 30 odd years later, I'm still doing the same thing, except now, instead of exploring the woods behind my house, I do things like a 3,400 kilometer journey from Lake Erie to the Arctic. But in spirit, I like to say it's the same.
0: It's a lot easier if you go to the grocery store or to the guy in the back alley for your mushrooms, you know, just saying.
5: It might be easier, but it's not necessarily <laughs> as much fun. Uh, I mean, I say I'm the luckiest guy in Canada because, I mean, when I think about it, I have as much fun uh, going in the woods and finding some uh, rare mushroom or some new species or one that I haven't seen in a long time and being like, oh, man, this is a hen of the woods right at the base of this oak tree. This is like the best tasting mushroom. Look at how cool it looks, like the ruffled feathers of a hen's neck. And I just get so excited about that. And I mm. think, you know, there's something to be said about uh, good old-fashioned fun like that so i say i'm pretty lucky that i get to do these things
0: what's the most appealing thing for you adam because there is a common thread of birds um, following migration of birds i've seen that a couple of times with some quick googles of your stuff and then there is this very outdoorsy sometimes with friends sometimes by yourself lots of canoe and work like that so what is it that really gets you um going in this uh or maybe i'm just assuming too much from just coincidence, not not common threads of what you're up to.
5: Well, I just like dreaming up big adventures and then trying to make them a reality. I mean, I've done a variety of different expeditions and long solo journeys in my career. A few years ago, I I did a four-month solo journey across the Arctic by canoe. That was almost 4,000 kilometers. It started in the Yukon and it took me across what's probably the greatest wilderness left in the world, one of the only places where you can still wander for months and months and miles and miles and never come across a single road, pop can, or even a Tim Hortons. Um, so the solitude, the adventure, the wildlife, uh, the sense of freedom even that comes with wandering in a truly wild place, like a place where there's no trails or paths is partly what drives me, what gets me excited, get out of my tent at like five in the morning and put on some wet socks and get out into the frosty air. Um, so there are different motivations I have for specific journeys. The one that you're referring to that's what my most recent book is about, Where the Falcon Flies, and that was inspired uh, by a falcon, by a bird that I saw at the time I was living in St. Williams out my living room window. When I saw that falcon, I thought to myself, you know, that falcon, I've seen it in April, is just getting ready now in the spring to migrate thousands of kilometers from southern Canada, right on Lake Erie, I mean the deep south, as far south as you can go and still be in Canada. It's getting ready to migrate from here thousands of kilometers to the north and I just thought in that moment almost impulsively why not follow it why not get my backpack in my canoe and follow that falcon where there's a will there's a way I can find a way north and follow it thousands of kilometers to the arctic so that's what I did in that case but other adventures have been inspired by other ideas that happened to pop into my head
0: and when you say follow the falcon you you don't actually mean like keep up with that particular bird it's just following where the bird's supposed to go and hope you find it on the other end or did you actually like chase the bird
5: no basically the former um i knew like basically if you just google peregrine falcons you can look up their roots and they're one of the most majestic and special birds in the world so they've been studied for years and decades but um they're wanderers and they will migrate thousands of kilometers and they go to all different places in the arctic in fact A few years earlier, when I had done my journey alone across the Arctic by canoe, I'd seen many of these falcons in the Arctic. Uh, They nest on these sheer cliffs. Wherever they can find a vertical cliff is where they like to lay their eggs, where nothing else can get at them. So when I saw this falcon in southern Ontario, I was like, wow, it's a reminder of how interconnected everything is. And I knew, and if I didn't know, I could just look it up very quickly. Oh, where do the falcons go? And they go all across Canada's Arctic. But the one place where they really favor are the Torngat Mountains, which are in Arctic Labrador. And these are like this most spectacular, majestic mountains you can imagine. They look like something out of Lord of the Rings or uh, like a legend. And that's where I had in mind. I'll go there. So I don't have to literally follow this falcon because the falcon is far faster than me in a canoe. But three months later or so, uh, if everything goes according to plan, I should end up in a mountain range in the Arctic, and I can find a falcon, hopefully, on a nest on a cliff, and that'll complete my journey, more or less. So that was the idea I had.
0: So which way did you go? Because if you're going from the southern tip of Canada, essentially through all of the you know, busy southern Ontario... Um, you've got Great Lakes. You've got all the cities. You got to get through. Um, you got to, uh, you know. I'm assuming you're not canoeing up the St. Lawrence in your in your journey, are you? How do you, how do you how does this look like? Because it it would go from incredibly busy to I would assume quite quiet.
5: Yeah, you're absolutely correct about that. On this journey, I saw a little of everything from the busiest, biggest cities in Canada to the most remote wilderness. But the route I came up with off the top of my head, and it was a little bit off the cuff was starting right at Lake Erie, just down the road from our house um, in Long Point Bay, which is right around the center of Lake Erie. And that was in April, April 24th, last year is when I set off. So from there, I headed east along Lake Erie, a few hundred kilometers along the lake, uh, past Norfolk County, Haldeman County, Port Coburn, all the way over to Fort Erie. And then when I could see the skyscrapers of Buffalo, I knew it was time to turn left, and that took me under the Peace Bridge and down the Niagara River. Now, there's a notable waterfall on that river, but I figured
0: I can paddle I've as close of it. as I dare. It's quite quick, I thought. <laughs>
5: yeah, it is pretty fast. It was uh, definitely a little bit nerve-wracking paddling right up to the brink of Niagara Falls, but wow. I paddled in as close as I could safely get, and then I portaged around Niagara Falls, put my canoe back in below the Whirlpool Rapids at Queenston. Yeah. There's still another 15 kilometers downriver from there, so I paddled down the center of the river. Downstream current is in the center. The sides is a back eddy, but anyways, I went down the rest of the Niagara River, uh out to Niagara on the lake. And then it took me another couple of weeks to get through Lake Ontario. I had some very interesting campsites uh in Toronto as well as under the Burlington Skyway in Hamilton. Turned out I wasn't the first to camp under that
0: Skyway. Um <laughs> yeah, and then, right. not everyone was yeah. on a journey to the north who was camping under that bridge, friend.
5: No, but they already had a nice little campfire uh, oh, right. spot for that. So that was nice. And then I went all the way over to Kingston in my canoe and then down through the Thousand Islands and down the St. Lawrence Seaway. So you did uh, Quebec. Yeah, down past Montreal. I spent a night sleeping under the Jacques Carchet Bridge in Montreal, which was very interesting. And uh, past Bois riviere past Quebec City, out to where the river gets salty and then you can't drink it, it's tidal. And when I got to around uh, Bay Como, I headed north. Uh, up over through northern Quebec into Labrador, then across the interior of Labrador. And then from there, uh, north into the Torn Gap Mountains. And then after hiking into the Torn Gap Mountains on foot, I canoed the rest of the way to Ungava Bay, which is part of the Arctic Ocean, and saltwater, beluga whales, polar bears. And then when I got to the ocean, I canoed along the fjords and the cliffs to a little tiny Inuit community called the Kanga Jack, uh, which is where I actually ended my journey. So hmm. that was it in a nutshell.
0: In a nutshell, you say it like it's nothing. First, I would like to acknowledge the fact that you uh, portaged beyond the whirlpool um, it, on Niagara River because that's nasty. It's amazing to see from a distance. Didn't want to, wouldn't want to be on it unless you're in a jet boat, definitely not in a canoe. And also some people would say, you say don't drink the salt water. Some people would say don't drink Lake Ontario, but um, I digress. the The journey, like the easy way to do this would have been to catch a plane to Newfoundland then start your journey and go um a little wild adam to think that you literally (laughs) you're by your place you're like i'm gonna just start paddling here little forrest gump actually i would say
5: yeah but that was the whole fun of it um Ah. i enjoy old-fashioned travel and i'm continuously amazed on any adventure i do and especially this one uh, about all sorts of things i find along the way that i wasn't expecting And it really opens my eyes to places like Hamilton and Mississauga and Toronto, which is a wilderness guy I have very little interest in otherwise. Uh, But going to these places and traveling under your own power by canoe, you're not traveling that fast. So you really get a sense of the place. And what I found is that there was, you know, fascination, even in our most well-traveled areas, you know, under the Burlington Skyway, I camped there, but there was a little patch of forest right there. And that forest was incredibly rich that I saw, Various birds um, that many of which are migratory and go to the Arctic, and they basically hang out there for a day or two when they need a rest, get some food, refuel, and then they continue to the Arctic. So I thought that was a neat connection. The other thing I really enjoyed, which I wrote about in my new book, I tried to weave weave it into the story of my own journey was all the history and other interesting facts and tidbits I came along across along the way. So wherever I went, you know, sometimes I would see little traces of the past, old. Old forts or old ruins or historic plaques or an old pioneer cemetery, an old church, or maybe I just come across an old person and they tell me a story, um, which to me was one of the most rewarding aspects of the journey the places and the people I saw along the route. Um, and I've tried to share all of that in the book as well.
0: The juxtaposition of the big cities and then the wilderness is one thing, but the juxtaposition of seeking in nature and finding humanity. Um, on a more soulful connected level is, is quite beautiful. Is, is that sort of the appeal to you? Because I imagine, Adam, there's a lot of time for you to be with yourself.
5: I just sort of take whatever comes. So if I'm alone for a month, um, I embrace the solitude and I try to find a positive or an upside, I make the most of it. And sometimes when you're alone in the wilderness, I mean you get to experience some really special, almost magical uh, moments. I mean, in our Hyper busy, crowded world in the year twenty twenty three. There aren't very many places where you can still go and just wander for months and not see a single trace of of civilization. So that's really rich experiences that I embrace. But on the other hand, if I'm canoeing through Toronto and there's like ten thousand people looking at me along the river, thinking, "What is this idiot doing?" Uh, um, that's the that's the novel experience that I cherish as well. And canoeing through Montreal, that was a real challenge. It was very busy there with the commercial port. There's an oil refinery. There's dozens of, of giant steel freighters, the big, huge ships like the Edmund Fitzgerald, like that size, coming and going all the time. So that was a real challenge. But to me, it's, there's the, it's the appeal of the unknown. You don't know what's around the next river bend, what's over the next hill, or uh, or what what you might find. And that, to me, is the whole fun of the adventure.
0: Oh, it's quite beautiful. In fact, at AdamSchultz.com, the gallery, the photos are so stunning and raw and simple and you get wet a lot, you have to be willing to take on some things, Adam facing fear, um, noises in the dark, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, There's got to be some moments where you kind of, well, maybe this is just me, maybe I'm projecting onto you, where you kind of go, what am I doing? Or are you able to be so centered in it where you just go, you know what, Um, I'm good. This is what I'm here for. Where is this going to take me? Is that, is that mentality sound like it's familiar?
5: Yes, a little bit. I think when you put in really long days as I was doing because I I wasn't uh I wasn't biding my time. I wanted to get to the Arctic as early as I could in the year because I was worried about polar bears and I knew that if it took me 4 months to get there, um there would be more polar bears on the shore when the ice has melted. So I was hoping to get there within 3 or 4 months at most. So that was driving me on, but the re- the result was I was off and exhausted, I'd sometimes paddle as much as 15 hours a day. Uh, but at the end of the day, no matter where I ended up, whether it was Toronto or Montreal or some farmer's field or backwoods, when I would set up my tent, make my little campsite, it, it would feel like the most luxurious, rewarding feeling in the world. Just getting warm and dry, stretching out on the ground. It's amazing how quickly sleeping on gravel or rocks or in a, a field feels like a five-star hotel and like a feather bed. And it's just the most wonderful feeling and having like a warm cup of tea. Um, so all those things would sort of remind me that, no, I am doing what I love and, and I would never really question it. And I would always have this like simple delight in, wow, I found a wonderful campsite right here in Port Colborne or here in Port Hope. And I would just sort of um, love those moments. So yeah, for me, the whole journey sort of, uh, it had its own sort of inner Motivation where every day I was excited. I don't know. I've never been to this little village in Quebec before. Will really be interesting to see, or I'm excited to be getting into the Laurentian Mountains, like where the Thousand Islands. So there was excitement all along the route, and that kept me uh, motivated and focused to keep going.
0: Some incredibly beautiful places. Um, Adam's books. I'm just going to read the titles quickly. Uh, alone against the north a history of canada and 10 maps beyond the trees whisper on the night wind Um, that one's very intriguing and then the new book is where the falcon flies which is i'll link to the books page i think is the best way for you to read this now this is number one bestseller it's it's gone to all kinds of places as an author adam all around success as an adventurer did you find what you were looking for
5: well, I don't want to spoil the end of the book, but uh, if I hadn't found a falcon's nest, I'm not sure I would have written a book. So that probably answers question. That's a fair question. assumption.
0: That's not a spoiler. I think you're good.
5: <laughs> yeah, okay, very good. <laughs> and there are, I think there's 48 color photos in my book, if I remember correctly. So there are a lot of color photographs of yeah. uh, all these places and what I found along the way.
0: Yeah. So are you excited for April and hope you see that falcon I- again?
5: I'm excited for every month, uh, whether it's November or December. That's one of the great things about Canada. Every Our whole calendar, all the seasons, brings with it uh, new things in nature and new adventures. So I'm excited for April, but I'm excited for the other 11 months too.
0: It's beautiful. I love this. I love what you're up to. And the storytelling is quite amazing. I have a new love affair for the storytelling. This is this is really cool stuff. Adam does public speaking, he'll go share the stories in person, he writes these books. And then he loves to strap on his backpack and grab his canoe and paddle his way to wherever adventure is going to take him. Uh, It's cool. It's inspiring, Adam, like it's quite Quite inspiring. When for me and I'm looking at my day today of getting in my car and running errands and driving around a, a, a paved world of downtown and getting that stuff done. I I, gotta tell you this is tempting.
5: Well, I'm glad to hear it. You you never know when adventure is going to carry you away and you just uh, turn your back on it all and go off on some exploring. So I'm glad to hear it.
0: Can you share before we go one thing? Um, why why somebody should take on an adventure? If they've been thinking about it?
5: Well, I think that um, adventures are very rewarding. And it doesn't have to be, you know, 3,400 kilometers to the Arctic. It could be an afternoon bushwhacking in a place that's a little outside your own personal comfort zone. I think there's definitely um, something to be said getting outside your comfort zone. So maybe it's not a four month Arctic journey, but. Maybe normally you only do car camping on the weekend, and this time you're gonna you're gonna go into the back country, even if it's just for three days. Something like that can be tough and difficult in the moment, both mentally and physically. You know, you're hungry, you're putting up with wet uh, wet clothes or something. But when you get back, um, the feeling you get it gives you an extra spring in your step or new wind in your sails. And I think it it leaves uh, leftover energy that sort of carries you through your your normal work routine or whatever it is. Uh, you're doing so I think that there are rewards from doing all kinds of uh, adventures they don't necessarily have to be big ones but just doing something new or tackling something you didn't think you could or exploring somewhere even in your own backyard uh, you know that trail you pass a 100 times on the way to work but you've never actually stopped that maybe this Tuesday you're going to try to actually pull over make a little extra time and go have a little mini adventure that kind of stuff I try to do all the time and it always inspires me me and, and gets me excited to uh to keep exploring because there's
0: so much out there and you've never appreciated a hot shower more than the first one back i suppose
5: that is true although sometimes i find that if you go too long then eventually after like three months you just sort of think yeah it's all the same i don't even remember it but after about a week <laughs> or so a hot shower is very good after three months it's all about the pizza yeah but yeah i love it
0: <laughs> adam schultz um where the falcon flies is the book the article i'll share the article too um, from um, Canadian Geographic as well. I always wondered how a moose navigates through the trees, uh, you know, with their big rack on their head. And then here's you doing it with a canoe. So I, it's impressive. Thanks so much for being here, Adam.
5: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: This is the Shift Podcast. Trevor Hurst, to Conline Crush, the band been around forever i've known trevor for i don't know 25 years don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, uh, you guys have your album release this week and it's um it's pretty amazing um so many things we had you on you shared so honestly some stories about what you've been through um you know your guitar player siggy and all the bits and pieces that you shared with yep. us and all of that hark was come to hard work has come together now and you get to put a bow on that part, that season of your life, Trevor, and the album's out, and you guys are touring around in Ontario currently.
6: How are you doing? Doing great, it's, uh, it's been a fun fun rip so far. Um, yeah, we had like a little release date thing in, in Vancouver, now we're doing one in Toronto, um, and uh, that's tomorrow night. Just a small little, like for a lot of the industry kind of people and friends of the band, just a little thing. And uh, the dates have been amazing uh we had uh, we had this band on partner really cool band out of toronto and montreal i think combo kind of thing and they're amazing and yeah so we've had some fun it's been great the show the audiences have been so um i don't even know how to describe it enthusiastic kind uh just yeah it just reaffirms all the reasons you do this for a living you know
0: yeah <laughs> well for let's uh you've shared this and i invite everybody to go backwards in time to our podcast and hear some of the stories of what you've been through but i'll give the coles notes now for those who don't know and didn't hear that conversation you can only crush band from the 90s um and then you guys were together and then you took some time away and then you made some stuff and then you went and did some schooling and you have gone through all of these different seasons now you've gone all in again into your world of music. And that must feel great, especially when you get the affirmation of these people that have all shown up saying, we love the music, we love what you're up to. And um, I do have an agenda behind that question. So I'm going to get to that right after you say, uh, you know, it's come a long way and it must be great to see exactly that.
6: It, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you wonder, right? As you book shows, like, who's going to show up? Are they going to appreciate it? What are they going to think of the record? What are they going to think of the songs? and uh, when they respond so positively it's so life-affirming and it's so it just feels you know you're humbled in a lot of ways because you're so grateful and, and that that you've been given this opportunity and and that you've I, I, yeah it, I'm at a loss for words at times to describe the feelings because it's a wide range of emotion.
0: Well I think that it's inspiring for everybody though Trevor you I mean you've got a f- family and you've got all the people around you. You've got people who depend on you. Um, and yet you've taken the business risk for everybody. Maybe it's not being in a band, but the financial risk, the business risk, all the things leaving a career and going back to find the love affair that you had. I mean, so anybody who's ever thought I can go into business myself or have a side hustle or chase my dreams. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. You just happen to do it on a stage in tight pants, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if you want to wear tight pants in your dream, you can too. They're, they're, um, they're, but, they're... but that's what that's what's going on. I mean, so you are doing it, and, and a little bit of lead by example. I can't I can't deny that part.
6: Well, and I think I think that's uh, you know, uh, if you live long enough, you start to ask yourself, "Well, what's the currency of life?" And if you're fortunate enough, I think to have lived a full life with disappointments. And so when I say that, people might wonder, "Well, what do you mean by fortunate enough to have disappointments?" But really. Those are those lessons that teach you more than you could have ever been taught if it was a smooth ride the whole entire way. I've learned that the currency of life is in cash. You don't get to take that with you to the other side. There is, uh, you know, it's not beautiful things. It's not the friends you collect, although that's very important. It's the experiences and the understanding of what it means to be alive, what it means to be human and all the things that it encompasses. And for me, the experience of, of playing music and being back in a Caroline crush, uh, you know, full time with, but it's actually like, it isn't totally full time because I still, um, I got called back since I talked to you, I believe to Chinook Wapka to work in, in, uh, the Dakota nation in Manitoba. So I, I do that, but they allow me to go play music to take off for a month at a time and play. And, um, I'm just really blessed. And I think that experience and the experience of having to put, you know, put up or shut up to make the music that, you know, you believe in and then see what happens. It's, it's life affirming, but it's also just these lessons that you realize that we get an opportunity. If you're given a gift, your gift to, to interview people, to tell people, to get help people tell their story. It, In a way, is this gift that you have to follow, because by you doing so, by me doing what I do, by you doing what you do, we move that stick or whatever, that yard marker, one millimeter, one meter, one kilometer, closer to the one, closer to some greater consciousness. And I know this sounds all hippy-dippy, but really, in life, this is important stuff.
0: Now, people who know me just figured out why we get along so well. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, you you said that you got called back to to do the work and you went back and I mean, you are, uh, you know, very honored to be a part of that community because you went there for your previous career. And uh, in fact, those people told you to leave. they were like, um, you know, those, those elder people said, you need to chase your dreams. Like we love having you here, but it's time for you to go chase your dreams. I mean, so they were a big role in that. In fact, this, this brings attention. I thought of you because I had a guy here on the show. His name's Isaac Murdoch. Now he's from Elliott Lake. It's the middle of nowhere. (laughs) You might be a little soft to go up to Elliott Lake um, because he lives in the bush, but I think you um, would love this guy. He's a storyteller. Yeah. And I invite everyone to go back in the podcast and look for the Isaac Murdoch uh, podcast. Uh, but he tells both stories of his own experience and then uh, the stories passed on by elder, you know, through Creator and all the things, connection and cycle of life. But if you ever want inspiration that is brings all aspects of your life that I know about you together, you let me know and I'll connect you with Isaac Murdoch. This guy will blow your mind. He is so cool and laid back and honest and well spoken and just tells story like. You've never heard. I can't, like, I hope you get to meet him one day. He's just amazing. Awesome. I think it'd be so cool. Um, but here you are making music. You're on the road again. Uh, you're busy being loud and you know, all the things that you love to do. I mean, there's this side of you that is incredibly quiet and soft and there's a side of you that's very loud and in your face and, and you're kind of living into both now. That must feel fantastic.
6: It does. It does. It really does. And it was interesting too, because we had uh, a little rip in the summer before the record came out and, um, it ended with us playing with a show, a show with Sloan, uh, a a great country in, in Manitoba at their corn and apple festival. And so a number of community members from Chinook Waka came to that show. Oh no. That's amazing. It was like that George Costanza worlds collide, worlds collide, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love it. And so it was, uh, it was amazing to see the looks on their faces and like, they didn't know like they didn't realize you know some a lot of the community members what it was that my band did that the songs and how we performed them and yeah it's it's been uh yeah it's been something for them to kind of get to know the music and understand what I do and and obviously it's tremendously different than the person that they know day to day right know, helping with the
0: let, let me provide some context there you have to understand um you know these community folks that that Trevor was a part of their community as basically as a nurse and um uh to 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 be simple about it and then um and then imagine your nurse that's no longer sort of in scrubs and showing up to give home care but instead is um is again in tight pants on stage yelling at you that's really what it's really loud rock and roll from the 90s so i mean that's kind of what happened this is wicked stuff you guys are touring around now i look trevor at at a couple of things and i had questions i was checking out spotify's uh streaming stats on when the devil drives which is the the new album and you know there what occurred to me in that i mean there's some great numbers that are happening there um invincible is really doing great i like i like that song Um, I like Smashing Optimism, too. I mean, I don't say that to diminish the rest of them. Stars Don't Shine lyrically really hits me better. Um, And so there's a lot going on there. But back in the 90s, like you guys were cutting tapes and CDs. You had no idea who was listening. And then fast forward to today, you get to re-enter this world again with this staggering tsunami of data. So your hippie self gets to create it and then you actually your logical loud self gets to analyze it and be with it and that must be a completely different experience even because you made some stuff in the late 2000s that that was uh, that you put out too but this is different data this is different response this is you're getting to see different things even who buys your tickets and where they're where they're logging in from um that must be different for you as a as a 90s rocker originally
6: it is but what i find fascinating is you you can see um so many different things as you say you have the data from when you're when you're looking at it like where they're buying it what countries are buying it what regions of the country are buying it um i watched as songs on certain platforms started out very strong getting a lot of spins and then leveled out and then this one's like right now the two hottest tracks on the, uh, when the devil drives on, I don't know if it's, yeah, I think it is Spotify actually is whisper and um going under with it, with, with Invincible and, and all the rest, you know, very, very uh, quickly following them. But those two are the big ones. But what also is interesting is the number of people that are saving the entire album. So you can see they, oh, the yeah. entire album.
0: Yeah, when I click on the heart and favorite your album, I mean, you get the notification that a user did it right. So how many people do that? That's so cool. But what a different world it is to be in. it must be hard to I mean, this is where I think your balance comes in. That's that's so great. I mean, you've gone from being loud rocker, you've had your struggles, you've lost way too many friends. And um, it has grounded you in this new season of your life where you found yourself again um so in all that pain there's that gift that comes back right yeah. and then you're able to take all of that um lyrically and create this um rock album like and you have to understand for all the shift heads that are listening like it's loud like there's no there's not a lot of gentle about it it's in your face rock and roll and it's awesome and yet at the same time though i was hoping that people could understand or see that behind all of that the expression that comes with it there really is a purpose behind it there really is a message there really is experience behind it there's pain um some of these songs you um you actually had created with ziggy before the pain came yeah. um and so you know there's a whole new follow-up season to come to this and there is so much more going on than people realize but yet i think you're giving them that contrast now which I don't think you did that before. I don't say that as an indictment. I just think of when you were younger and I was younger, I was probably doing the same thing. We were just out being as loud as we could trying to create as much, you know, be misfits and and cause trouble. And here we are a little bit more intentional. Yeah,
6: I, I agree. Like, I think there was a lot like, you know, there was definitely commentary on society commentary on my life, but you know, you you've only lived so much. You've only experienced so much now. With the opportunity to go and record, and especially this this full length where we haven't done a full length in you know over over a decade you're really um cognizant of the fact that you may or may not get another opportunity so you want to make it stick so there's so much stuff on this record that was written from that feeling of like i make i want to make sure this message holds and this message is timely and timeless and so You know, like you mentioned, stars don't shine. Um, You know, that was, you know, about my relationship with my wife and how the struggles that you go through um, as a couple and how hard it is to maintain a relationship. Or with Whisper, it's a conversation imaginary, uh, although imaginary, it's between myself and my mother. The first half of the verse is my mom talking to me. The second half of the verse is me talking back to my mother. And then in the chorus, we're kind of saying to each other and to everybody that's you know young much younger than us my children and her grandchildren that you know can't you see me i'm standing right here uh uh you know i want to love you i want to hold you i want to heal you I want to help you and i'm going to whisper in your ear i'm going to carry you through this you know no matter if i'm gone or not and i know that that's the sentiment that she because i i thought about it when i was writing that song what would she want what would you want to say to me? What would Paul Raven want to say to me? What would Ziggy want to say to me? What would I want to say to people after I was gone? And it said, if it's at all possible, I will be with you. I will fight with you. I will encourage you however possible to continue your dreams and your goals um, and to make the most of this time in this dimension, in this place that we, you know, now call life.
0: The lyric, If the lyric is, can't you see me? Um, do you feel seen? No?
6: I think so. I feel um, I feel like we're, you know, there's there's a part of me that's always like, uh, you know, never satisfied. I'm always like, okay, I want more, I want more. I'm trying.
0: Yeah, but, uh, I relate to that one. Because. Yeah,
6: I try to be mindful, but I, you know, um, I really enjoy playing arenas, and I'd definitely like to do that again. Uh, but it's very difficult. It's a different time in the music industry, and, and you're really very fortunate to get get people to, to fill a club so i'm I'm very grateful and 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 i want you know our audience to know that people that come to see us i always tell them every night from the stage how grateful i am for them to come to purchase this ticket and to show up because i know how hard it is to just even come up with the money to come to a show um and at the same time i i guess we're just driven and i'm driven to just want to take this message as far and as wide as i can and i love putting on a big rock show and i love the big production of those shows so hopefully we get there but if we don't the the, the real i think um prize and the real uh the, the real glory in all of it is the fact that we got to make the record in the first place that so we got to take everything that was in here and get it out there and and share it with the world and and it truly is being like, as you said, with the data, it's, it's the world that's listening. It's not just Canada, it's the United States, it's Australia, it's England, it's Ireland, it's Scotland. It's, uh, it's all over.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. 25 years ago, Trevor, um, there was a lot of naivety that drove our lives. It's a beautiful thing. Naivety is quite beautiful. Now risk has changed, right? Risk, you kind of go from this naive place, I think, to this place where you become a little bit risk averse and you try to hang on to things really, really tightly, then your risk becomes different. Your risk when you notice time changes as we get older, becomes what if I don't get it all out in time? Yeah, And that's a whole different level of inspiration. Tell me about that kind of risk of I have so much to say.
6: It is wild because, you know, I can remember when we finished the Devil You Know run and we had played like 300 shows or, no, it was about 260 shows and I'd done 300 days worth of work with the press and everything that year. And I thought, well, I'm going to take some time and figure it out. Now, you know, I am panicked about the fact that I want to make sure that I have this like three album ideas in my head that I want to complete. And I want to make sure I have enough time and it does start to change your perspective for sure. Because you think, you know, I know, you know, Ziggy's not here. What if I was to, something was to happen to me or what if something was to happen to my other guys in my band? I, I want to make sure we get this done. So yeah, there is an urgency, but again, like whenever I start to feel that pile up, I, I, I remind myself to be mindful and I think, okay, you have to be in the moment and enjoy the moment, yeah. and that's the biggest thing. And I think that's the biggest secret to life, in and of itself. At any point, is to enjoy the moment. You know, to try and and stay stay focused on what is important right now in the here and now.
0: Well, you just answered my next question because that was gonna, what I was going to ask: is that how hard is it to have so much to say and be so excited to say it, but still not lose your way in what is here? those people that have come to the club. Uh, We've mentioned Ziggy a few times, just so you know, Ziggy was a guitar player with Trevor for a long time, very good friend, um, one of the best of friends, in fact, and um, he passed away recently. Um, So he is on this album and some of those songs, so you do get to go further and further and further deeper and carry him with you now when we chatted a few months ago. You know, I mean... It's been a little bit of time, but still pretty raw for you. I know that. And I do invite everyone to listen to that old podcast so you can hear it in Trevor's words. But now you're on the road again and you're doing all the shows and he must be with you. Like the reward of Ziggy must be with you now because you're in front of everybody um, sharing it back out again. So that that must be the beautiful part of of dealing with some of that pain and loss. eh?
6: Absolutely. Plus today, like we're in, uh, we, we, we just played a show in, in Kitchener, Waterloo, KW as they like to call it and we were k-dub Dub, and we were in uh, <laughs> we went to a surplus store today this was like ziggy's achilles heel when it came to uh cash money and so all uh <laughs> All of us spent a lot of a lot of loot on insane things there today and, and it, it was almost as if the spirit of Ziggy was there going, Oh man, look at this. I could use this thing. I really <laughs> use this. I mean, it's this little portable fan. It has a light. Look at it. It's only three bucks. Like, come on. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's the best part about this. Um, Trevor Hurst to Crush, the uh the band has the album. It's out now. Uh the dates of what is up next include uh later in the week i'm looking at my dates now later in the week back at it again um sarnia oh finger 11 you're doing the finger 11 show that'll be fun they're loud yeah we
6: did the show with them in uh, the london music hall it was great so we get mm-hmm. uh, we were going to initially do about six but uh you know the way of the world so now we're doing this one we're in london music hall we just did we're doing sarnia coming up which will be great uh so yep. close to flint michigan so close for our friends it is so flint, close michigan. i tell you what when yeah. i drove
0: through there this summer that's where we went, played um, some
6: shows. Ziggy's grandma was from Flint. And then what, what's, what's, oh, no what else is left? We've got what?
0: Uh, the, uh, we, uh, you've got Toronto, Owen Sound, Oshawa, Nepean, Quebec, um, then Thunder Bay, then back home around Winnipeg, and then you're back in Alberta, and so shows uh, to be added after that. So I want to find out more as it goes. I'm curious to hear how the Ottawa show goes, selfishly, because I wish I could be yeah. there. Um, but I want to tell you this. I want to give this back to you is that, you know, 25 years ago, we were pretty naive and things were fun and loud and, and we took an awful lot for granted. But one of my favorite reasons why I invite you to always come back on the show is I feel like uh, you've given me the chance to see you and I feel like I do see you. And I just want you to hear that from me because I now Uh see what was this guy that I couldn't explain what I liked about him 25 years ago. And we did all those work things together and and, uh, and the music is great. Love the music. Always love the music. But then now I feel like I get to see it. And what's changed? Maybe my listening, maybe what you're sharing. But I just want you to know that I feel like, anyway, my experiences, uh that's, I do see you. And I, I want you to know that. And that's why I love having you here. Oh,
6: uh, thanks, Shane. I, I feel the same way. And I think, it, you know, I think this is a... It's what we call, what, maturity.
0: (laughs) Is that what it is? I don't feel like I'm there yet, but I'll take it. Thanks so much for being here, bro. Thank you, too. Okay, have a great time. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.